Hello and welcome to Bellatopia. This is not a regular episode, but a, a mid-break bonus episode. We're at the midway point of season one, and I'm taking a break over the holidays before continuing with season one in early January. Rather than just leaving you with no Bellatopia at all, I decided to put together this bonus episode that gives a bit of Q&A about what Bellatopia is all about, along with giving my thoughts on a new TV show that just started called For All Mankind. Okay, let's get started. So, why I started Bellatopia. I had grown tired of science fiction based on things like zombie apocalypse, you know, the post-Holocaust worlds, and other dystopian universes like that. I enjoy watching shows like The Handmaid's Tale, but the world it presents is, is a disturbing world. I do enjoy utopian science fiction worlds such as Star Trek, but yet those are too far in the future to be realistic, and, and they really aren't based on technology that I could reasonably assume would be available in my lifetime. What I wanted was a realistic world of science fiction. Now, when I was growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, I grew up with the Apollo space program. For a kid in the 60s, Apollo was amazing. Look at this. We, humans, mankind, Americans, were putting a man on the moon. I was six when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. After Apollo, we were promised that the next big thing was Mars, and then colonies in space. It was the space age. Good things were starting to come. Soon. Promise. In college, I even wrote an article in a school publication based on a NASA study that described the creation of a space colony in low Earth orbit that would home 10,000 people permanently in order to produce energy and make products for people on Earth. This was my very first article that I, that I wrote that I ever had published. This is the world I was promised when I was young. Any day now, it would come. Man would go further and further and do more and more things in space. Any day now, soon, after all, they promised. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited. You know, needless to say, that world never came to be. For a variety of reasons, Apollo was the heyday of NASA. And NASA has never done anything significant with its manned space program since then. Yes, we had the, you know, the space shuttle. And yes, we have the International Space Station. But those are both just putting humans in low Earth orbit. After going to the moon, that really was nothing. They were easy and safe ventures into space. There was no exploration, no reaching to new heights, none of those things that were promised to us. And then even that stopped. Now America can't even put a human in low Earth orbit. We don't have any way of doing it after the cancellation of the space shuttle. Only way an American can get into space today is to hitch a ride with the Russians. That's it. What an embarrassment. Even though we are still the only remaining superpower at least by some definitions of what a superpower is, we have lost our capability to put a person into space. We have gone way, way downhill in our ability to have humans explore space. Now companies like SpaceX and others are trying to regain our momentum in putting humans into space. But these programs are, are late to the game. Even though I believe in Elon Musk and SpaceX, 
I will probably personally never see a human set foot on Mars in my lifetime. Even though it was something promised to me a long time ago, it's a promise that my government and NASA has failed to deliver. The same is true with some other technologies. While we've made massive improvements in computer technology, less so in other technological improvements. We still don't have driverless cars, even though we're headed in that direction. Computers still can't think like humans can, but we're getting closer. We still don't have a way to get every human on Earth the food, water, and power they need simply to survive. We do not know how to build and maintain an infrastructure for public transportation that is sustainable and maintainable and scalable. We can't even maintain the bridges and structures that we've already built. Instead, they collapse from negligence. And let's not even talk about the environment. This is where Bellatopia comes in. Bellatopia is science fiction, but is meant to be a realistic vision of the world that could have been, perhaps should have been, and arguably we deserve to have, but for one reason or another, we, we don't have it. Bellatopia is a world where we continued to invest heavily in space after Apollo. It's a world where we invest heavily in making every human's life better. It's a world where the wrong or unfortunate decisions that have held us back were made differently, giving us a future that is brighter or better, or in some cases just different than what we have today. Bellatopia is science fiction. It's not dystopian science fiction. It's not utopian science fiction. It's believable science fiction. That is the world of Bellatopia. My goal with Bellatopia is much more than a little podcast about a better Apollo space program. That's what season one of the podcast is about, but that's not what Bellatopia is all about. My goal with Bellatopia is to build an entire alternate universe that is based on a believable but different set of decisions than what formed our current world, and then examine how those decisions impacted the world. The first step of this is what you are currently listening to. It's season one of the podcast. The topic of this season is the space race. It's about the race with the Soviet Union to win and own outer space during the 1950s and especially the 1960s. This season asks the question, what if the space race continued after we landed on the moon? My answer to that question is season one. I've been working on the ideas of Bellatopia for quite some time now. The podcast that started this fall is my first outward expression of this world. It's the start of describing this world. What better place for me to start than with a better world of Apollo, something that's important to me personally from my youth. Given my personal interest in the subject, I was overjoyed when I heard that Apple was launching a brand new TV show on their new Apple TV Plus service called For All Mankind. The show was advertised as an ultimate view of the space race. This was fantastic. Someone else expressing their view on an alternate space race. Now, For All Mankind does things differently than I do in Bellatopia, and this is great. I personally am focused in Bellatopia on what happens if the funding for Apollo continued after we landed on the moon. While For All Mankind is based on the topic of what happens if the Russians had beat us to the race to the moon. 
The end results of these different questions are two very different worlds, yet visions of the worlds that also have some similarities. For example, the idea of a human moon bases exists in both of our worlds. Yet Bellatopia includes a greater investment in building an infrastructure in space. It's taking the success of the moon landing and turning it into a greater space presence and greater space technology. Meanwhile, For All Mankind's focus is a continuation of the, the one-shot missions that made up the original real Apollo program. For All Mankind is saying, let's try and be the first to the moon. And if we can't do that, let's put the first woman in space. If we can't do that, let's put the first temporary base on the moon. And if we can't do that, let's try and find water on the moon. It's all about racing to do something once and first before the Russians. It's about what happens if the Russians actually beat us to the moon. It's about the battle for space dominance. Bellatopia is more about building on Apollo technology and doing more with it. Starting to build an infrastructure in space and building space technology. It's less about the battle with the Russians. But even with these differences, I've been enjoying watching For All Mankind. In my mind, it's a great example of the type of science fiction I've wanted to promote with Bellatopia, that of a realistic science fiction. I love the premise, and I love the execution of the program. I also think the acting is, is pretty decent. I hope it is popular enough to continue on with follow-on seasons. I have heard now that it was picked up for season two, which is fantastic. I do, however, have a few issues with some of their technical decisions that they've made in the show. You know, that, that happens with science fiction shows. The decisions that, that I don't think would have actually occurred in the way they described them in the show. These are all really technical nits, though. In general, I find the show to be quite entertaining. But given that my focus is on realistic science fiction, I think the nits are worth talking about. First, a bit of a warning. There's going to be minor spoilers here. No spoilers on the plot of the show itself, but I will discuss a couple of scenes from the show, and the scene context may, in some respects, be a, be a spoiler. So, in my mind, the most glaring technical oddity occurred when the two astronauts, Gordel Stevens and Daniel Poole, left the moon due to the emergency and left the third astronaut, Ed Baldwin, behind on the moon base. The premise was they were to leave using an emergency Apollo CSM, command service module, that was left in lunar orbit as a lifeboat. As such, they took off from the lunar surface in an Apollo-era LEM and docked with the waiting orbiting CSM lifeboat. Ed then returned to the LEM to the lunar surface while Gordo and Daniel left, took the CSM lifeboat back to Earth. This all sounds fine, but the problem is with the LEM. The way that Apollo-era LEMs worked is the LEM lands as a two-stage ship and then takes off using only the top stage. The bottom stage stays behind. This means a LEM, by design, can do a single landing followed by a single takeoff. After it has taken off into space, it cannot in any way re-land again. It's physically impossible. By design, once the LEM takes off from the lunar surface, it either has to remain in lunar orbit forever, or more likely, eventually, it'll crash into the lunar surface. When Gordo and Daniel left, all three astronauts, including Ed, took off in the LEM and rendezvoused with the CSM lifeboat. 
Then Gordo and Daniel went in the CSM to return home, while Ed stayed in the LEM to go back to the lunar surface. This would obviously never have happened, as Ed would have been killed by the crashing LEM. The problem with this, he could never have made it back to the lunar surface alive. Instead, in such a situation where two of the three astronauts were to leave for home, only the two departing astronauts would ever get into the LEM and return to the CSM. The third astronaut would have remained on the lunar surface. This means that the high Bob farewell scene should have occurred on the lunar surface before Gordo and Daniel left, not in lunar orbit as it did during the episode. This issue really had no impact on the story, but given the research and planning for an Apollo-era lunar base that I've been doing and working through these sorts of issues of how do you do rescue boats and how do you get people to and from the lunar bases, etc., this issue stuck out as a glaring problem with their approach. Another example problem occurred in episode 9. This is the episode with the accidental firing of the third stage rocket of Apollo 24, with Apollo 25 still attached to it by a tether. In the show, it looks like all six astronauts will be saved, but we won't know for sure until episode 10. But in reality, such an accident would have absolutely been fatal for at least the three astronauts in the tethered Apollo 25. Perhaps the three astronauts in Apollo 24 that had their third-stage engine fire, perhaps they could have been saved. Once their third-stage engine stopped, they could take the CSM, turn it around, and fire the CSM's SPS engine to do a direct abort return to Earth. That would certainly be possible. It's something the CSM was actually designed to be able to do. But the Apollo 25 crew, all three, the ones in the ship that was tethered to the runaway Apollo 24 and were bouncing around and before detaching, all three of those would be dead or dying. Their ship would have been heavily damaged, and Molly, the spacewalking astronaut, would surely have been killed. The idea of them being rescued is frankly unrealistic. That sort of accident would never, ever, ever have happened. But if it did happen, it would have been quite fatal. Now, these are nits, but they're nits I look for given my interest in the topic of realistic science fiction. Now, I understand from personal experience the difficulty in writing a script that doesn't have such technical issues in them. It's impossible to keep all the millions of details straight to guarantee that nobody can find fault with the technical logic you assume in your scripts. I assume it won't be long before people start noticing similar things in my scripts for Bellatopia. In fact, I have personally already noticed a couple of mistakes I've already made in the scripts. For one thing, and probably the biggest example of this, is this. I built the whole Venus flyby series of episodes around the assumption that there would be an engine burn failure that would endanger the mission. You heard that play out in episodes three and four of the Bellatopia podcast. But in real life, at that stage of development of our space program, if we were going to a Venus flyby mission like that, we would have used what's called a free return trajectory on the trip to Venus. The idea of a free return trajectory is that the ship is on a course that would eventually, without any engine firings, result in the ship flying around Venus and flip around and return back to where it started from at Earth, automatically, without the need of any further engine firings. It's a safety thing. 
You want to remain in a free return trajectory to avoid the types of problems that, frankly, I created in the Bellatopia episodes. Free return trajectories were commonplace in Apollo missions to the moon. The result of the mission to Venus using a free return trajectory would be this. There would be no required engine burns for the entire journey anywhere away from the Earth. None. This is how the original Venus flyby plans were set up in the real world before the mission was ever canceled, and it would be the safest way of going to Venus. This, of course, would have been the end of my plans for how I wanted the trip to work out. It'd also be the end of my Christmas miracle burn plans. Now, I didn't discover my mistake in this planning until late into the development of my story. I couldn't ignore the problem in good conscience. So I decided I had to deal with the problem head on. So you'll notice in the beginning of the documentary section of episode three, I do talk about the free return version of the voyage. I said the original plan for the voyage included a free return route. But when the details of how to do that were actually worked out, it was discovered that the free return approach wasn't going to be technically viable. Instead, a more directed and a more powered approach involving several burns during the course of the trip was required. As I stated in the episode, the trip just became a lot more complicated. This complication is how I avoided this whole issue. This is how I avoided the return, the free return problem. Truth be told, there is no known problems with the free return approach. It is theoretically viable. We can go to Venus using a free return voyage with the planets in a certain alignments and not have to deal with an engine burn outside of near Earth. I used the problem as a story premise in order for there to be a viable reason for the powered approach that allowed me to create the Christmas miracle burn. This Christmas miracle in the world of Bellatopia is incredibly important because it is one of the things that keep America's interest going in the space program. First, we landed on the moon. Then we went to Venus and survived a disaster. The pride of the space program grew exponentially in Bellatopia after the Venus flyby mission. It is part of the reason why funding continued for space in Bellatopia. Anyway, as you can see, I can understand and appreciate the need to do unrealistic things as required for story plots. However, my hope is overall I will be able to stick to as realistic a view of technology as possible in order to make this a true, believable-topian world rather than a dystopian or utopian world. Let's talk about the long-term future of Bellatopia. So in advancements in technology and solving of the world problems takes two things. It takes a commitment and resources, and it takes political will. Therefore, in Bellatopia, besides talking about the mechanics of the technological changes involved in building Bellatopia, I will be talking about the will to make the changes. This includes popular will, resource commitments, and political will. The will of the people, the resources, and the politics. As such, I will not avoid talking about politics in Bellatopia. You're starting to see some of that in my This Week in History news segments in some of the episodes of Bellatopia. You're starting to see the fragmentation and split up of the United States taking form. I truly believe that while the U.S. is the last surviving superpower, that does not mean it will last forever. 
the U.S. will eventually split up. While this split up will be painful when it happens, it is not necessarily going to be a bad thing long term. In the world of Bellatopia, the way this plays out is you will eventually see the U.S. will split into three distinct regions. The West Coast, which is what you are hearing about in This Week in History news segments right now, will join with Mexico, Canada, China, Japan, and a few other countries in that area to form a Pacific Rim nation called WASP, which stands for the Western Alliance of States and Provinces. This is going to become a technological powerhouse and a very rich country. This will be a country based on technology and advancement of technology and will dominate the world in those areas. It will become a superpower. The Northeastern United States and parts of Canada, particularly New York, Boston, Toronto, that area, will join the modern-day Great Britain, which is now separated from the rest of Europe, in forming an Atlantic Alliance of Nations. This alliance will form a financial powerhouse. This alliance will manage the world's non-technological money, power, etc. West Coast is going to be technology-focused. East Coast is going to be financial-focused. The third area is the South and Central United States. This will be a spiritual and a Christian-centric nation. It will be a centrist nation, internally focused. It will not be open to the views of the outside world. All three parts of the old United States will be political powerhouses of various forms, but will have a very different outlook on the world stage. WASP will be a multinational world technological power. They will be the ones that own most of the Bellatopia stories and will certainly own our space-based commerce. The Atlantic Alliance will be the financially conservative, moderating influence in the world financial stage. The South and Central United States, which I haven't come up with a name for that yet, will be internally focused, centrist government. Their borders will be closed and they will be self-contained and self-supporting, not taking much of a presence on the world stage at all. There will be a place for the story exploration for each of the three distinct political views of the three new nations. And of course, the rest of the world will be part of this as well. You'll have to wait to see how things eventually come to be in upcoming seasons. Speaking of upcoming seasons, what are my plans for future seasons of Bellatopia? Well, season one will finish the space race with the Soviet Union it will take place in the 1960s to the 1980s. Season two will continue with what I call next-gen space. This will be our buildup of space colonization and our early monetization efforts in space. This will start in the 1990s or 2000s and continue into the 2010s and 2020s, essentially contemporary with where we are today. Season three will focus on world politics, it will focus on the creation of the WASP nation and the other world powerhouses and how this change to world politics actually comes about. It's entirely possible I might swap these two seasons. Frankly, I might wait to see how our real world politics plays out before deciding you know, which of those two seasons I'm, I'm going to tackle first. But both of these seasons are in the works. Season four will then focus on Earth-based technologies. This includes technologies like self-driving cars, but it also includes things like 
creating fresh water, feeding the hungry of the world, creating electricity and removing our dependence on oil and gas, improved public transportation and high-speed wide-area transportation options that don't include airplanes. Season 5 will focus on longer-term views of space. This will be permanent colonies in space and a focus not on a world economy, but on an extra-global economy. It will be how we can make a better future using the resources of an infinite space. Again, I might switch up these last two seasons. We'll have to wait and see how things work out. I'm also going to start focusing on the blog on the Bellatopia website a bit more. This will be independent and separate from the podcast. You will see me talk about my current thoughts of Bellatopia, along with story ideas for upcoming episodes and perhaps elaboration and more detail on past stories in Bellatopia. I have a particular interest in the Venus flyby episode, and I might write some follow-on stories and put them on the blog as well. I will also use the blog to reference real-world things that are happening that support my vision. Things such as milestone missions by SpaceX and similar companies. I'll also use the Facebook page and Twitter for referring to these stories as well. So listen to the podcast, but also read the blog at bellatopia.com and follow Bellatopia on Facebook and Twitter as well. I promise I will do my best to not disappoint you. And I hope you enjoy the world of Bellatopia. <laughs>